Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. So our scripture, um, we're continuing in Acts in the lectionary, and we are to Acts 17, verses 22 through 31. So listen now for a word from God. Then Paul stood in front of the Oropagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely spiritual you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though God needed anything. Since God, God's self, gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, God made all peoples to inhabit the whole earth, and God allotted the times for their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps fumble about for God and find God. Again, so they would search for God and perhaps fumble about for God and find God. Though indeed, God is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, for we too are God's offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now God commands all people everywhere to repent, to change, because God has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising Jesus from the dead. Amen. There are a few of us in this congregation who enjoy the band Nickel Creek. Now, the trio of Nickel Creek grew up together from a young age, and they do kind of a reunion about every seven to eight years to produce an album and go on tour. Their concerts, honestly, are the best I've ever been to. I mean, obviously because of their musical skill, but also because Chris Thiele, um, the mandolin player, he just has this ability to grow a community from a group of strangers with this like effusive and affectionate presence that he has on stage. And their most recent album with the religious overtones of the title Celebrants is an exploration of community and relationships post-pandemic. It is an ambitious album where each song is almost like a chapter in a book, offering intimate glimpses of different types of relationships and their triumphs and their complications. It's about how to love each other, or at least try to, in light of our humanity, right? There's even one about the complications of being in relationship in the airport. <laughs> um, if you love bluegrass, rock, little Americana, you're going to love it. Now, with an album all about the necessity of being in community and how good that is for us, you would think that there'd be this giant celebration song at the end, right? Like a party song, accumulation of the joys and the benefits of relationships. 
if you're going to write kind of a thesis statement for the album, it generally would be that community is essential. So honestly, surely we're going to clap along to a bop at the, about love at the end. But that, that's not how they do it. It's not how they end the album. Now, that is how they start the album for sure. The first song is the title song, Celebrants, and it's this raucous celebration of gathering together, making this cathedral of care. It's the most loud and rowdy song on the album, calling listeners to kind of clap along and appreciate each other. And when I see them in concert in June, I know that they will want all of us to be that background choir. So I am practicing. But at the end of the album's essay, if you will, on creating good community, we do not find a culminating triumphant song. There is no celebrants part two. Instead, um, they, they close out the album with a song titled this. Failure isn't forever. Failure isn't forever. And I laugh out loud just thinking about their honesty, right? That bold, faithful finale to the human endeavor at community. Failure isn't forever. Inevitable, perhaps, especially when we bump up against each other, but not forever. That's so tongue-in-cheek. This song came to mind immediately when I read Paul's conversation as well with the Athenians this week. While Paul's conversation isn't focused on attempting large-scale community necessarily, his is more focused on what kind of community we create with God. And it acknowledges that restlessness we feel in life as we seek for that connection with our creator, with the divine, with, you know, Telk's ground of being. And by the time we meet Paul in Acts 17, he has recently been kicked out of no less than two towns as we arrive with him in Athens. Probably, you know, the failure thing. My guess is that he's learned some lessons. And he wanders the city and sees that Athens is a very religious city. The people crave connection with the divine and it pops up in statues all over the city. And he finds one special one dedicated to an unknown God. Now, do the Athenians fear they will accidentally leave out a deity and face the repercussions? Or do they respect that our human endeavors at pinning down the divine are futile? So they just gesture to the mystery of the unknown God. Who knows? We don't know. But Paul sees this statue and affirms to his listeners that it's a great way to make room for the real thing. And this is where I start humming the song, Failure Isn't Forever. Paul continues to speak with the Athenians and goes on to claim that God creates us, puts some boundaries in place along with putting us in the places we were meant to be. And guess what we do? Guess what our job is? We search for God. We search for God. But quote, we fumble about. And then eventually we connect. If that isn't the truth, both of community, as Nickel Creek pointed out, but also as our, it's a community or it's an example of our pursuit of faith, our pursuit of God. We search for God. We fumble about and then we eventually connect. If you were in this exact room six years ago on June 4th, you would have heard my spouse Chris preach on Acts 17 at my ordination service. And I asked him to send me the sermon so I could, you know, have a moment of nostalgia as I prepared this one. 
And the first thing I noticed was how well Chris knows me, right? He hit all the major influences in my faith journey. Mary Oliver, Psalm 139, and obviously Rainier Maria Rilke's Book of Hours. And as Chris explored how our new ministry here at Ormond Church mirrored Paul's in Athens in some ways, he quoted Rilke's similar desire to Paul, or the similar trajectory that Paul lays out. I want to mirror your immensity. I want never to be too weak or too old to bear the heavy, lurching image of you. I want to unfold. Let no place in me hold itself closed, for where I am closed, I am false. Powerful words, and powerful words that gesture to a journey with and toward a God that, because of God's immensity and heaviness and importance and transformation, we kind of have to be prepared to fail at this journey, to to fumble along the way sometimes, to be open, to unfold. Again, this is about participation, not perfection. And Paul affirms to to Athens that failure isn't forever. We fumble about, but we do find God. And even in the fumble, even because of the fumbles, we sometimes find God. Other failures that didn't last forever, I mean, honestly, the New Testament has a lot of them. Peter denying Jesus three times, Zacchaeus cheating people out of money, John being reluctant to baptize Jesus, Mary thinking Jesus is a gardener, Thomas thinking people are lying when they say they've met Jesus, Peter refusing to let Jesus wash his feet. Even Jesus's death is that fecund place of failure where transformation happens. And Saul from last week's sermon, he becomes Paul from this week's. But the thing about all these failures is that they led to change, right? After Nickel Creek sings, failure isn't forever once, they add to the line, failure isn't forever unless we quit wondering how to get better. Paul picks up on this as well using the word repent, right? As Paul wraps up his sermon to the Athenians, he adds the word repent. Repent means to turn around, to change, to be headed down one trajectory and say, whoops, let's try something else. And that is what Paul is asking the Athenians to do. That is what God is asking us to do whenever we are in the fecund goo of failure. Because remember, it's not forever. The fumbling doesn't last forever. We keep wondering and it gets better. I was listening, finally, I was listening to this interview with Sarah Lewis. And she's a Harvard art history professor. And it was an interview about her own work. Um, especially in the book, The Rise. And it's her work around fumbling and failure. And she has these oh-so-wise words. The word failure is imperfect, she says. Once we begin to transform it, it ceases to be that any longer. The term is always slipping off the edges of our vision, not simply because it's hard to see without wincing, but because once we are ready to talk about it, We often call the event something else, a learning experience, a trial, a reinvention, no longer the static concept of failure. Now, failure is not fun. Fumbling, it's disorienting, it's, you know, it's embarrassing sometimes, but it is the rich compost of our lives and our pursuit of God. 
So stay brave out there. Keep going. Keep wondering how to get better. Stay curious. Press on. And to add another favorite phrase from this Nickel Creek song, when we're weathering the worst, kind of shrugging your shoulders and singing, heave ho. (laughs) Because even the Athenians knew from their poets that all of this journey is done within God, not outside of God, not in opposition to God. It is done within God, in whom we live, in whom we move, in whom we have our being. Amen.